mean, it gets my, you know, independent 21st century North American USA heart singing. Anybody want to sing? For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. The record shows I took the blows and did it. Heaven's sake, I embarrassed myself up here for that. Second service better better bring it better than this. Listen, Frank Sinatra, don't get me wrong. I I like Frank Sinatra. You know, those summer nights, like I sit on my deck, I go out and I pull up Pandora and uh, I put on Summer Wind Radio. Like he's my go-to guy, cold drink on a summer night. But you know, doing it his way, just like when I do it my way, maybe when you do it your way. It sounds a lot better in the song than it tends to play itself out in life. Um, I mean, Google Frank, his manager, I, I spent some time on this this week, his manager said that, in the quote, in the end, he didn't see a suave debonair crooner. Instead, he witnessed an aging performer who was worried about his future, so paranoid about his safety, this is fascinating, that not only did he carry an Uzi on his private jet, but he kept a pistol hidden in his custom boots while on stage at all times. He was married four times, multiple affairs, a ton of mess around those marriages, scandal, family pain attached to all the relationships. His family feuded over his final years all about his estate, and in the end, he found himself addicted to an antidepressant, which, which his manager says he is convinced contributed to his health, or his death, excuse me. Now, I love Sinatra, but I think part of what I love about Sinatra is kind of a fantasy. It's a mirage. It's just not true. I spent my, my time this week thinking about doing it my way. And, and, and as I was studying it all week, deep in the scriptures about trying to do it my way, this verse from Proverbs kept popping up in my head. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. See, this isn't a Sinatra problem. It's not a famous person problem. This is a, a human being problem. It's our shared experience. It's the common DNA flowing down to us from generations before. Their stories, our stories, these ones that we've been trying to look at and discover in this series, Origin. Now, last week, we ended with God being merciful in a sense. Uh, and, and we ended with the story of a scattering of the human race that, that comes out of you know, this tower building attempt to build a city and build a tower and protect themselves and glorify themselves. And God mercifully scatters humanity. Now, if you, if you follow the story through in the very next chapter, it begins, the, the writer begins a genealogy of what happens to all of these people that are scattered. And, and eventually he starts to trace it down to just one family and then specifically down to just one man, this man named Abram, who would eventually come to be known as Abraham. Interestingly enough, I don't know how much you know about world religions, but interestingly enough, the three largest world religions all trace their roots right back to this same man, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. They all converge around this man and his story, and God's interaction with him, and God's redemptive plan to fix this mess. And so Abraham is a big point in our shared story. 
There's lots that we can learn from them, and it impacts our story. Like, why did he do what he did, and why do we do what we do, and how was he changed, and could we be changed the same way? And so let's jump in. There's a long genealogy of the scattered people, people after people, man, women mentioned. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the author writes, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, who would become Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. Now, if you've been with us along the ride here, this call from God should sound a little bit familiar. Your ears might start to go, wait a minute, I think I've heard that in, in these origin stories somewhere. Because if you think about it, God tells Adam and Eve to, in a sense, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth and govern it. And then if you remember, when, when, when Cain has, and kills his brother Abel and God sends him out, God tells him to go but, and, and puts a mark on him and says, look, trust the mark, but go. No one's going to hurt you. But Cain doesn't trust the mark and Cain doesn't go. He stops and he stays and Cain becomes the first person that builds a city. And we talked about the, the flood, and after the flood comes this remnant family of Noah, and, and God tells Noah's family the same thing again. He says, go, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the whole earth. But their descendants, led by this character Nimrod we talked about last week, they don't go. They stay, and they settle, and they attempt to build cities for their own protection and towers for their own glory. We talked about how we do that. And so now, here's where we are in the story. I want you to understand, here is God coming again. He never gets tired of his people. He, he comes again, this patient, loving God who condescends, and he comes this time to Abram. And he says, go. By the way, anybody remember what Jesus' final commandment was? Go. You know, there was a, who, was, who, sang, who sang it? Should I stay or should I go now? The knack, who was it? The clash. The answer is go, right? For believers, this is, this is the answer. We like stay, but the Lord says go. And so God entices Abraham to go and not to stay with a promise. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the promise today, guys. This promise to this very day, to the moment, this moment you sit in the room, it continues to shape uh, the entire world, change the entire world we live in. And depending on how seriously you take the promise, it will literally determine how you live your daily life, how you raise your kids, how you handle your career, how you spend your money and your time. It will determine how you sleep at night, what you do with this promise how you treat it, how seriously you embrace it will determine if you spend your life building towers to try to create a name for yourself or building cities so you can make sure that nothing can harm you, that you can take care of yourself. Or it could help you find the peace and the joy and the happiness that all of us say that we're so desperate for. It all depends on what you do with this promise. Here it is. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. 
I'm going to bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples on the earth are going to get blessed through you. This is about 18 to 1900 years before Jesus is born. Before Jesus is born, God begins this redemptive story for all of mankind through the life of one simple man with the words, go. And he makes them a three-part promise. Here's the first promise. He says, Abraham, if you will go, I will make you into a great nation. To which the nation of Israel to this day would say, yes. Israel would claim Abraham as their own and he would say, yes, he has made Abraham into this great nation. And if you took the story of Abraham to the Arab states, they would shout, amen. God has indeed taken Abraham and made him into these great Arab nations. And so promise one, every modern day historian would concur with this 4,000 year old story. Yeah, that did happen. The crazy story, God picks one guy out of the countryside and yeah. And then God says, and really it's, it's almost like he's kind of pointing back to the Tower of Babel. Remember they wanted to make a tower so they could make a name for themselves? God says to Abraham, listen, here's the second thing I'm going to do for you. I'll make your name. You don't need to worry about it. I, I'll make your name great. Now, history buffs, remember, this is one simple man, one Bedouin, Bedouin wanderer from 4,000 years ago. He is not a pharaoh. He is not a king. He is not a ruler. He has no armies. He's uneducated. Let me ask you a question. From 4,000 years ago, this guy plucked off a, a desert mountainside. Before coming into church this morning, how many of you had ever heard of this man's name, Abraham? Raise your hands if you've ever heard of this man's name, Abraham. Promise two, check. How crazy is that? This guy is plucked out of obscurity with nothing. And here we are sitting in church in 2018, and just, I think, every one of you just said, yeah, I know his name. And in promise three, God says, you're going to be a blessing and all the people on the earth are going to get blessed by you. First thing you have to understand is in the history, the time period in which this is unfolding, this is absolutely groundbreaking. Do you know why? Because everybody else's God told them, I'm calling you to be conquerors and kings. Abraham's God calls up and goes, shows up and goes, I'm calling you to be a blessing. To be a blessing. To which the nation of Israel would say, yes, look at what, what Israel has meant to the world. Look, and it is fascinating, by the way, if you ever want to do a study on the Jewish contribution to advances in humanity, it will blow your mind the blessing that the Jewish people have been to the world, this small population of people. It's unbelievable. To which the Arabs would say, yes, yes, it is true. We as a people have been a great, to, to which the Christians would say, yes, it's true. We are descendants of Abraham too, grafted into the vine from Jesus Christ. Look at the hospitals, look at the universities. So yeah, this promise made 4,000 years ago to this nomadic guy is true. I mean, there were three crazy promises made to a guy that wasn't even close to being a perfect man. 
but they were promises made and they were promises kept. So I would say from a big picture perspective on this story that both the author and history want you to know one very big important fact. Here's what you need to take away from this. God, despite how crazy things in your life might seem right now, how desperate they might be, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Which when you think about it, it's pretty amazing because God makes some pretty super cool promises that if you would believe he would keep, that if you believed he would keep, that if you trusted he would keep, that if you had faith that he would keep, it would literally touch and change just about every area of your life. Let me, what would it be like in your life if you lived with a deep heartfelt trust that God would supply all of your needs? Philippians 4. What would it be like to go, you know what? God's going to take care of my needs. Well, Romans 8. He didn't spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely? He'll give us all things. Psalm 84. God is our light and our protector. He gives us grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk along his paths. Do you believe that? Do you live like it? Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals your diseases. James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it liberally to all and without reproach. Jesus said, peace, I leave you my peace, I give to you. Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I could stand up here all morning, I could do this all day. Promises of peace and protection and provision and purpose and healing and forgiveness and eternal life. These are big, bold, audacious promises, crazy stuff. Kind of like going up to a, a Bedouin guy on a mountainside and saying, by the way, the redemptive story starts with you. Everybody's going to know who you are and you're going to bless everyone. Man, how our lives, how our... Our anxiety would fade, our, the pressure would come off, worry would, would wane if we only believed. But I think you and I have a little bit of our father Abraham in us because Abraham, he believed in the promise, but, but the, this issue of feeling the need to be God, it keeps coming back in our life. Even when we believe in God and we believe in his promises, we keep trying to make it happen ourselves despite his promise. It almost shipwrecked and short-circuited Abraham and God's purpose in his life. And what I think is the truth, what I think that you and I, in, in search of the peace and the prosperity and the purpose and the healing and the life that comes, we know the promises exist, but we try to fulfill them ourselves. And when you do that, it can shipwreck your life and it can shipwreck God's purposes in them. Let me show you what I mean. Now you have to remember in Abraham's day, there's no Bible, there's no Torah, there's no writings, there's no written word of God. So what does God do in attempt to get Abraham to trust him is to recount his promises to Abraham over and over and over. If you go home and read the story of Abraham, you can read it in about a half hour you will see that God just continually repeats to him the same promise. Abraham, I need you to understand this. Boom, Abraham, Abraham, 
Abraham. I think this is why God has given us his word and given us these promises, because we need to be reminded of them all the time, and we don't spend any time reminding ourselves in the word of God, reminding ourselves of what is he promised. Well, we, we tend to grab the reins back and start trying to make it happen ourselves. So God gives him this promise, and Abraham goes. He just starts wandering. God didn't tell him where to go. He just said, go. And he starts his wander. And here you have just a couple of verses down. God repeats it. Abraham's out. He's wandering around. He doesn't know what's going on. God comes back. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to remember the, to the Lord who had appeared to him. And, and, and building an altar was a way to remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot. God's going to make me into a great nation. I know I'm an old man. I know my wife is way past having babies. But God's going to make me, God's going to make a nation of me. I got to remember that. But, and so the wandering continues. This is a great story of a wanderer. Doesn't know where he's going. The wandering continues, but, but real life has a way of making the promises of God seem sort of distant and, and, and slow in coming. And as Abraham makes his way, he goes to Egypt and, and believing the promise of God, he, like we, he believes the promise, but he reverts back into believing in the power of Abraham. I believe in God's promise of peace, but I'm going to work really hard to get myself peace. And so here's what happened. Abraham's making his way into Egypt. God is going to make a great nation out of me. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, you know, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and they're going to kill me, but they'll let you live. Here's the plan. Say you're my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Ladies, you think your man is a heel. The hero of our story, the father of these three great religions, he makes this choice. Look, it's going to have to be my life or my wife and I'm going to choose my life. And he essentially just hands his wife over to Pharaoh. I would point out to you that if you think God's promises for protection and provision and peace and prosperity and eternal life are only for people who don't screw up and don't make really bad choices, don't have a sordid past, I'd say keep reading the story. And so God intercedes and Pharaoh finds out about this and he sends Abraham and Sarah packing, but when he sends them out, he looks at Abraham and he asks him a question, a great question. I never caught it until I studied it this week. He looks at Abraham and he goes, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Why did you do this? You know what Abraham says? I don't know. He doesn't say anything, actually. Probably a moment of reflection. I had this promise of God, but the minute a little bit of fear crept into my life, Here's my wife. So the wandering continues. God comes again. He reminds Abraham again. He says, look, I'm serious about this, Abraham. Trust me. He says at one point, Abraham, look around from where you are to the north and the south, the east and the west, all the land that you see, I'm going to give to you and your offspring forever. I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anybody could count them, then your offspring could be counted. And Abraham listens. He goes, oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry about that whole thing with Sarah, God. I'm sorry. You're right. I trust again. 
In fact, let me build another altar. He builds another altar so he can remember. Then something pretty amazing happens. Well, actually, let me back up. See, what's going on in the subtext here is that Sarah's biological clock is ticking. And time is not a friend to an old couple with a promise of a kid. So Abraham, who at this time is an old man himself with no heirs, he, he, he starts to get worried. He's put a lot of wandering miles on his sandals at this point, and he starts to wonder about the promise of God. He still believes, but he starts to go, you know, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. And so he says to God, you know, I remember the promise. I built that altar. I remember it but I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'm old. Uh, I, it looks like right now, God, that this, this servant of mine, Eleazar, says I don't have any my kids. He's going to be my heir. And so again, God comes to him and says it again. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside again. And he said, look, Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now here comes the amazing part of the story, and maybe the most profound statement, at least in the Old Testament. It's over this statement that the three religions separate, and even Christians to this day separate and debate this statement, separate over and debate it. Now remember, this statement is before Moses. This statement is before the Ten Commandments. This statement is before the Bible is written. This statement is before the Torah is written. This statement is before Jesus comes. This statement is before any of Paul's writings. It's this crazy, world-changing statement. God repeats the promise to Abraham again, again, and then the Bible says this. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now listen to me, church. Abraham did not just hear the promise. Abraham did not just memorize the promise. Abraham did not pin the promise to his fridge. Abraham did not come to Sunday school on Sunday morning and repeat the promise to get candy. Abraham believed the promise. Abraham trusted God. And it was for the first time ever revealed, here is how God is going to relate to you to mankind, faith, not works, not actions, which as you'll see for Abraham still weren't going to be all that good. It was his faith that would make him righteous before God. The same thing that undergirded and provided for shalom in the garden, peace, prosperity, life, the same thing that permitted it, faith and trust, allowing God to be God, Abraham was given another opportunity he believed, and before God, it restored to him. It allowed him, in a sense, to become standing before God like Adam and Eve were pre-fall. By faith, he stands before God righteous, and so do you. Now, just to make sure he gets it, go, guess what God does? He repeats it again. The Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They're going to be enslaved and mistreated there. But they're going to come out with great possessions. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. Abraham goes, that's right. That's right. Okay. I, I almost forgot again. I know I don't have any kids. I know my wife is barren. I know I'm an old man. I, I should remember. And then God comes and he goes, let me repeat it one more, more time. He goes, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I'm giving this land. And so Abraham, he believes in the promise. 
His faith gets him standing right before God, but he's still got this DNA issue where it's sometimes it's just like, I feel like I gotta make it happen because nothing seems to be happening. He has faith, but it's like a mustard seed kernel of faith. Anybody know anybody that talked about the power of the of faith the size of a mustard seed? And so he has it. He believes in the promise, but there's something that he wrestles with inside. You see it when in this next verse. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, you know, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, what would any decent human being of faith respond to his wife? What did Abraham do? He slept with her. You know, it seemed to make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I do believe in the promise, but it doesn't seem to be working itself out. So let me make it happen. Abraham started saying, I'll do it my way. Isn't he trusts God for the promise, but he trusts in himself to make it happen. He sleeps with a woman that's not his wife. He has a son out of wedlock. I can't get into the details of what happens here, but the very implications on his family and on world history, things that this morning are still reeling out of control, wars, violence, all of it's still raging. Why? Because Abraham believed in the promise, but he didn't believe in God to fulfill it. He believed in himself. He had to make it happen. And you know what happened when he had to make it happen? He made a mess of his life. Have you ever done that? You ever believed in God? I believe in all those great promises of God, but I got to make it happen. I mean, what Abram is doing is the same thing that Adam and Eve and Cain and Ham and Nimrod do. God makes a promise, but I got to make it happen. God promises peace. But man, if I could get my 401k to a certain amount, I'd feel a lot better about things. God promises uh, intimacy and companionship found in him. But she's a lot cuter. God says, I have a wonderful plan for, for sexual intimacy in your life. Uh, we're going to keep it holy between a husband and a wife. You know, I'm really lonely. Uh, excuse me, I'm really afraid, though, that if I don't, you know, he might, and, and, and she, you know, I, I would like to keep him around, but she's going to think I'm weird, so. God says, let me give you your identity and your worth, and we say, no, I have towers to build. I have got cities to construct. I believe in the promise, but I'm going to do it my way. Oh, mama, do we make a mess of our lives. In fact, let's be honest. God's promises, God's provisions, they can be, let me introduce you to God's, the answer to God's promises. Oftentimes, they're really slow in coming. Geez, I wish that wasn't true. This is a God whose plan to rescue and save the entire world starts with one wandering human being 4,000 years ago, and it is still playing out. It doesn't, God, God promises, he keeps his promises, but he doesn't say he's keeping them today. The completion is not today. They can be slow in coming, but when they are, we can become like Abraham and Sarah, and we eventually, despite being people of good faith, despite believing and hoping and trusting, we can become people who at the very same time can laugh at the promises of God. Yeah, you're going to bring me a... Yeah, you're going to take care of me. Oh, yeah, you're going to heal me. Right? 
Because they laughed at him. You realize, after their faith had been credited to him as righteousness, they're still laughing at him afterwards. And his story goes on. He begs God to make his illegitimate son his heir. Oh, God, this is my way. Would you bless it? Anybody know anybody that goes off and does their own thing and it says, God, would you bless this? We do it all the time, right? I know he's not a Christian God, but he's really cute and I'm going to marry him anyway. Would you? I'm going to move in with him. Would you bless it? God, I know what you say about what I should do with my money, but I really want this. Would you bless it? God, God, I know I should forgive. I know I should make the first step in reconciling. I know I should leave my, my, my gift at the altar. But would you just kind of bless, bless me in my anger? And so this is the way Abraham lives. God has to come to him two more times and make the same promise. He keeps wandering. In fact, this is... Do you understand Understand what's happening here? He comes to another city called Gerar and he plays the old trick again. Even after he believed that it was credited to him as righteousness, he tells the king of that city. He, he, the king looks at Sarah and goes, you know, your wife's pretty hot. And you know what Abraham says? She's not my wife. She's my sister. He does it again. And, and, and his wife gets taken. You think your relationship is dysfunctional. And again, here comes God. God intercedes again. <laughs> and this time, you know what the guy, the, 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 the king asks him the same question. Why did you tell me she was your sister? This time he answers. First he gives a bunch of convoluted excuses, but buried deep in it was, I got scared. Here's what I want you to see. God recounts his promise to Abraham so many times that you would get, if you just read it looking for it, you would start to roll your eyes. It, and they're long when he recounts them, but somewhere between eight and ten times, just in a few chapters. Why? We need to really understand these promises. They have to be in our heads and in our minds because that's what impacts and changes how the way, is we live. And then for Abraham, after 25 years, I think the first promise came when he was 75. After 25 years, at the ripe old age of 100, where it would be impossible to have kids, this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At that very time, God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And I love this. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this is going to laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? But I have borne him a son in his old age. See, God is this promise-keeping God that despite time and fear and screw-ups and mistakes and doubts and beliefs and all kinds of messes that we can make in our lives, He is the God of who would have said. Who would have
have said that if I just didn't settle, God would bring a godly man or a godly woman into my life? Who would have said that after all of these years of fighting, our marriage could be saved? Who would have said after all these years of using, I could be clean? Who would have said after not speaking to my kids for years, our relationship could be healed? Who would have said that after all these months of unemployment, this crazy job has come? Who would have said that after all these years of wondering if I've been good enough or I've done enough or I've given enough that I could be in a relationship with God? Who would have said? It's a crazy story. Crazy story. As I close, anybody, you know, there's so much in Abraham. I could be up here all day. You know, there's that story in Abraham where God comes to him and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. You know what Abraham does? He hops to it. Why? Maybe he's questioning all the way, the whole time. He's just, he's just, he's, he's never really fully enlisting. He's never fully embracing. All of a sudden, God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and head to the mountain. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have you sacrifice him. Well, the first thing is, for, for other gods, that was, in the time period, that wasn't shocking. All the other people who thought their the gods trying to keep them happy wanted their son. So that, that shouldn't have been shocking to the time period. But what's interesting is, is you look at it, you think about the story, if you remember, they're walking up the side of the mountain, and Isaac looks at Abraham and goes, you know, we've got the wood, we've got everything we need for the fire. Where is the sacrifice, Dad? Anybody remember what Abraham says? God will provide. Suddenly something's changed here. God will provide. Remember when they were going up the mountain, they took a servant with them, and the servant essentially says, where are you going? And Abraham says, we're going up on the mountain to worship, but we'll be right back. We'll come back to you. Why? Check out how it was recounted here in the New Testament. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had, say that with me, embraced the promises. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham all of a sudden goes, doesn't matter what's happening. God, I've un- I now embrace the promise. God is coming through. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand how it's going to happen, but we'll be right back down. Dad, where's, where's the sacrifice? I don't know where it's coming from, son, but God's going to provide it. Abraham embraced the promise. What allows you to, to set your soul free with utter, uh, utter abandonment and obedience to God? What allows you in a world that's crazy? We all watched our 401ks evaporate in record time this week, right? What allows you to live with peace and joy and hope? Embrace the promises of God by faith and by trust childlike faith. He's good. He loves you. He's for you. His ways, not my ways. My ways make a mess. His ways are better. He's kinder. He's gentler. He's more loving. His band come up. Now, there are lots of promises for you. I need you to see this. It's so cool. 
There are lots of promises for you in this life. I gave you some. If you believe them, if you will embrace those promises and trust the promises of God for his people, you will have in many ways this, in this life what you are looking for. But what about the next? See, so many of us, especially if you're new to, to this kind of... Uh, if you come out of different faith systems where there was a lot of performance anxiety, right? Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I given enough? Have I made it to this enough? Have I done that? Have I said these prayers enough? And so when we do that, what are we doing? Well, I believe in God's promise, but I got to make it happen. But when you live your life that way, wondering what the end looks like for you, that's a horrible way to live your life. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 4, there's a lot about Abraham in the New Testament, but I love this. Check this out. Paul from, from Romans 4. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous, not his works. We certainly saw his works were less than stellar. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteousness. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. All these stories, all this craziness, all of the, the wife trading and the wandering around with Lot and the, the king, all these crazy stories. Why are they here? They're here for you. They're here for your benefit too. Why? Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord. Father, I should have had the band play my way. Really good. And we don't really need to sing it in church, Lord, because we do it really well when we walk out. This morning, Jesus, through looking at this father of our faith, would you help us to see the power of just a mustard seed of faith? And would you help us to let go of our plans and to embrace the promises of God? for this life and the next. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and close.